0: You can turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. That's where we're eventually going to land, anyway, is uh, in Luke, chapter 1. I'll try not to hold you too terribly long this morning. No guarantees, but we'll just see how that goes. Um, I do want to share something with you that the Lord put on my heart. We celebrate every year... And whether it was this time of year or not, we celebrate every year the fact that God came to man. We celebrate every year that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to destroy the works of the devil, and to set at liberty those who were oppressed, and to bring recovery of sight to the blind, and to preach good news to the poor, to establish His kingdom, and to remedy the situation that sin had brought to breach the divide that sin had brought between god and man and christmas is so much more than just a time to get together with family that's good it's more than just a time to exchange gifts with one another that's good it's more than just a time to sing festive songs and and put up great decorations that we can enjoy that's all good i love all of that love christmas But Christmas is a time when we understand that no matter where you are in life, no matter what your station, no matter what's happening, no matter what your circumstances, because Jesus has come, you have hope. You have peace. You have deliverance. You have wholeness. You have freedom. You have salvation. You have life. And I know that that you can say, well, That's easy for you to say. You don't know what's going on in my life. I want to just share with you just a few of the folks that become a part of the Christmas story, and then we'll go to Luke chapter 1 and read about two in particular. Zacharias was one of the characters that we read about in Luke chapter 1. Of course, he was the father, or would be the father, of John the Baptist, he and Elizabeth, his wife. Now, a little background on him he was a priest. That came from a priestly line. He was highly respected. He was a man that had a great heritage, a great legacy of devotion and commitment to God. He walked in righteousness and he walked in dedication. Anna, that we read about in the Gospel of Luke, was a woman who was also very righteous She became a widow when she was very young, and she lived to be very old, and she spent all of her time, the Bible says, in the temple until she was 84 years old. Decades she spent, day after day after day, in the temple, waiting for the promise of the Messiah. Simeon was another righteous and devout man, a man who spent his time waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise, the king that would come. And yet in every one of their lives, Zechariah and Elizabeth, in their old age, like Abraham and Sarah, were barren. Even though they had lived their life in devotion to God and they had lived their life in the service of God and they were committed to God, yet they had no children And that was looked at in that day and time as if you were cursed. There was a curse upon your life, very different than it is today. And so even though they were as devoted as they were to God, there was a barrenness and emptiness in their life. Anna herself knew what it was, even though she waited in the temple for the promise of the Messiah. She knew what it was to be without because she had been a widow For all of these years, always in a state of waiting, always waiting to the temple every day to pray, but wait to the temple every day to worship, but wait to the temple every day, hoping that today was the day and then go home, then hoping that tomorrow would be the day that fulfillment would come. Simeon very much in the same case had waited for years, good man, godly man, but he was in a state of waiting. And then there are some other characters that we read about in the Christmas story. The wise men, the kings from the east, who came from afar to worship the king whose star they had seen in the heavens. Now, unlike our Christmas story, and it's okay however you read it. I'm not going to get into any technicalities. But unlike our Christmas story, there weren't just three of them. There were probably many of them. And actually, who these wise men were is they were Possibly many think astrologers. They, they were looking for the signs in the heavens. So these were, for the most part, godless men. People who were very wealthy, who were very high profile, who were very educated. But yet they were lacking any true relationship with God at all. And then, of course, we come in to the Holy Family and we look at Joseph, who was a carpenter. Very ordinary man. A good man, by all accounts but just an ordinary, everyday carpenter, a day laborer, who was in a very difficult situation, trying to figure out what to do. You remember when the angel appears and announces to him, because he first came and appeared to Mary, and tells her that she was with child, and, and that she would bear the, the Son of the Most High, and, and, and that, that she would experience this unbelievable, miraculous conception then the angel appears to Joseph in a dream and he tells Joseph to take Mary to be his wife because Mary was, or, or Joseph was thinking about, because he was a good man, putting her away and ending the betrothal quietly because of all that might be said about her. So Joseph was a good man. He was just an ordinary man going through a difficult situation. Mary, by most accounts, was probably in her upper teens. And a peasant girl, very poor. And not only that, but because of the news that she would receive, she was going to be rejected by many. And the talk of the town gossip, I'm sure. Those things didn't just show up in present day, they existed then as well. And then there were the shepherds who were out in the fields watching their flocks by night, and the angels appeared to them to announce the Lord's birth in Bethlehem. Shepherds in that day and time it was a necessary job but it was a job that no one wanted they spent much of their time away from the crowds and away from their homes and away from their families it was one of the lowest levels of work that you could do and for the most part not only were they very poor they were looked down upon now i shared all that to say this if you look at those categories we have the very rich and we have the very poor We have the well-respected, and we have those who are not respected at all. We have males, and we have females. We have Jews, and with the wise men that came from the East, we have Gentiles. We have those who are accepted, and we have those who are rejected. We have young, and we have old, and we have everything in between. And for all of them, Jesus came. For all of them, the announcement unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I share all that to say this. All of them in different ways were looking for something. Simeon and Anna, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they knew what they were looking for, but they were still looking. They were still waiting because the answer, listen now, The answer they wanted was out of their control. They couldn't make things happen any faster than they would happen. They couldn't control the environment or the circumstances that they were in. Elizabeth and Zechariah absolutely were in impossible situations. As a matter of fact, they, from what we can read, had probably given up on ever receiving an answer. Kind of like Abraham and Sarah in their older age, they never really thought anymore about having a child until the angelic announcement in the temple when Zechariah was serving as priest that day. So they had kind of given up. You think about the wise men. They had all that the world could afford them. They had the money, and they had the fame, and they had the reputation, and they had the power, and they had the resources, but they still had nothing. As a matter of fact, they had so, so much of nothing that they were willing to go on such a great journey to follow a star just to hope to find a king that would save the world. And Mary and Joseph had probably not two cents to rub together. And they had received such extraordinary news that was impossible to believe, humanly speaking. All of them were dependent upon God. And I really love the shepherds. Because you see, the shepherds, they were just getting up doing what they do every day. They were just going about business as usual. None of them. Just because of the way the world worked at that time. None of them really had any hope of their life ever changing. Their parents had been shepherds. They've been probably shepherds all throughout their life. That's the station they walked into. That was the station they would live in. That was the station they would exit this earth from. And all they did every day was get up. All they did every night was get up and go take care of those sheep. Those, let's just be honest. We know enough about from Scripture, sometimes those Bull-headed, foolish, smelly, stinky sheep all the time. And their job was just every day, get up, go do what you do. Get up, go do what you do. Some of you are in impossible situations today. You're in situations that outside of the miraculous, there's just no hope. And some of you have, like maybe Zechariah and Elizabeth, had almost given up on there ever being any hope because there's nothing you can do about the situation. And to you, the message of Christmas is nothing's impossible with God. And everything is possible for us if we'll only believe. Jesus has come. And the very circumstance and the very fact, everything about his coming is miraculous. You see, people who say that they somehow believe the Bible but they don't believe in miracles really don't believe the Bible because you can't believe the Bible without believing in miracles because they're miracles from start to finish. And everything about the birth of Jesus Christ is miraculous. Everything about your salvation and mine is miraculous. But some of you feel like you're in an impossible place. Well, don't be too discouraged because Zechariah and Elizabeth, they understand that. Some of you just are in a waiting place you love God, you're seeking God, you feel like God's given you a promise, you've not given up on the promise and like Anna and Simeon, you keep, going to the, you keep going to church and you keep reading your Bible and you keep doing your devotions and you keep praying and you keep tithing and you keep worshiping God and you, and you keep being obedient to what he called you to do and nothing happens and nothing happens and nothing happens. And one week passes and one month passes and one year passes and a decade passes and nothing happens. You say, you say well, I don't know if I can wait that long. Anna waited 85 years. In the temple, faithful, dedicated, obedient, knowing that the Scriptures promised that one day about Simeon, we don't even know how many years he had waited, but it had been a lot of years for him. He would, the Lord had shown him that he would see the Messiah before he died. And when the parents came in with Jesus, when Mary and Joseph came in with Jesus, he came moved by the Spirit at just the right time and just the right place. And when he saw the child, he blessed him saying, now I can go home because my eyes have seen the promised king. And that's a wonderful thing, and we celebrate that at Christmas time. But how many years had he gone to the temple hoping to lay his eyes on the king and go home, and he didn't? How many days did he get up every morning and everything in his head said, there's no sense in going today. You go, you've been doing this for weeks. You've been doing this for months. You've been doing this for years. Nothing ever changes. Nothing ever happens. Why don't you just stay home today? But he got up and he went. And it just so happens that one day there's the king. Same with Anna. And some of you are in that place. You've been waiting and it feels like forever. It had not been 85 years like Anna. Maybe it has been years for you. Maybe it's even been decades that you've been waiting for the fulfillment of a promise from God. Maybe it's been months. Maybe it's just been weeks, but it's been so hard. Life has been so hard lately. It feels like it's been a lifetime, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. And while you're waiting, you're still doing everything you know to do. You're living the right way. You're loving God. You're, you're, you're doing everything you know, and it just seems like nothing ever happens. And right now in your head, there's that voice saying, What's the use? You keep getting up and doing the same thing. You keep serving God, and nothing's ever paying off, and nothing's ever happening. But you see, Anna and Simeon are testimony to if you keep doing what God's called you to do one day, and it's the day when you least expect it, the promise is going to be there. And what a glorious, glorious day that will be. And some of you may not be in this case, but maybe you have family members or friends who are. Or maybe it is you. You've got everything that you need. Like the wise men from afar You don't have to go very far to find peace or contentment, at least as the world is concerned, because you've got all the resources you need. If somebody asked you, what do you need? You'd have to search to try to figure out what it was, because for the most part, everything in your life is okay right now, except for just this empty gnawing deep down inside. Because even though your 401k is all right and your house is just fine and and you've got all the the resources that you need and you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat today or tomorrow and, and your family's fine and everything's going okay, there's just something that's missing. For you, the wise men are your testimony because what made them wise wasn't the life they had before. What made them wise was when they saw the Lord's star, they went looking for him. And the key for you is to recognize the emptiness that's in you and recognize that Jesus has come. And go looking, go searching, digging, whatever you have to do. And for some, we can very much identify or you can very much identify with Joseph and Mary. Good, righteous, simple, ordinary, every day, just go do my job. I just go take care of my family. I do what's necessary. I try to live a good life. But it's hard. Well, Jesus has come for you too. And maybe you happen to be in the place of the shepherds. Maybe you have nothing to look forward to. Maybe you feel rejected by everyone. Well, there's one who has not and never will reject you. His coming was for you. And because of Jesus and because of what he's done on our behalf, all of us today have hope. I want you to look at Luke chapter 1. And I just want to read the prophecy in, that Zechariah had and the song that Mary spontaneously sing, sang upon the announcement, Mary upon the announcement of the fact that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now, I want us to think for a minute about the fact that this was no small thing. Most historians tell us that Mary was probably in her upper teens. She was betrothed, and betrothal is something we don't understand. The engagement period in that time in the Jewish custom was more like, it was far more committed than we have. When you get engaged, you get betrothed to someone at that time, it was like a legal commitment. You were going to get married to that person. It was just a matter of time. And, and usually what would happen is there would be a betrothal, which we would call an engagement, and then the prospective husband would go away to get all of his affairs in order. He would go to get the house ready and get the house prepared and, and get things together and so that then he would come, and he would usually come with trumpets sounding when he would come into the town, and there would be a great procession of the bride uh, and, and coming to meet the, with her, her attendants, coming to meet the bridegroom, and they would have the actual wedding then, and it would be a great celebration. Kind of makes sense when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I come to receive, again, I'll receive you unto myself. And about a trumpet sounding before he comes. Kind of makes sense now. He was speaking to a Jewish society. and They understood exactly what he was talking about. He was saying there's going to be a great marriage feast. It's coming. I've gone to get everything ready for you. And I'm going to come and I'm going to be let out with a great trumpet blast. And you need to be ready when the trumpet sounds. Because when the trumpet sounds, I'm gathering my bride. But that kind of goes off the point. That's not what we're talking about today it was worth a little rabbit trail, wasn't it? But in the life of Mary and Joseph, this was no small thing because Mary is betrothed. She's probably a, in her upper teens. She's a, Most people would tell us she's a peasant girl of that time. Not very much. Not, not a lot of uh, resources in her life. And she gets the announcement that something that's never happened before and will never happen again is about to happen to her. And she has to deal with the fact, number one, how can I believe this? And number two, what am I going to tell everybody? She has to realize that in her society and in her culture and possibly within her own family, what she was going to say was going to be very hard for them to believe. She had to realize it was probably going to cause many people to reject her and never believe her. She probably had to realize that she would become a person who was scorned. Not because of anything she did, but because of the favor that God brought in her life. Because see, that's what the angel said when he appeared. He said, you are highly favored. God's hand picked you because she was so committed, so devoted in her worship of God. But when she received this greeting and knew all that it would cost her to carry the promise, she said, be it unto me the handmaiden of the Lord. So be it. And then she sings this song that is called the Magnificat, which simply means to magnify or praises. And she sings beginning in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. Mary said, My soul, the deepest part of me, magnifies the Lord, praises Him. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. For he has shown his strength with his arm, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones, and he has exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Upon this amazing announcement that would forever change Mary's life, by the way, do understand, when she had... This child, when she had Jesus, she went through travail and she went through birth pain just like any other mother would. What was asked of her was amazing. And her response simply was, be it unto me and my soul. I'm going to praise the name of the Lord for the opportunity to be a part of this awesome thing that he's doing in the earth. My soul magnifies the Lord, and I will rejoice in God. My Savior, Mary, recognizes that she will carry the Savior of the world, not just the world's Savior, her own Savior that she was going to carry the promise that would bring about her own deliverance. It would cost her much, but it would be worth everything, and all she can do is rejoice at the sight because she recognizes that God is being faithful to fulfill His Word, and in the fulfillment of His Word, He uses ordinary everyday people. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. There's only one incarnation it only happen once it'll never happen again but thank god that 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 he was willing to do what he did that you think about the humiliation that god stepped into human flesh took on flesh and blood and bone, tempted in all manners, tested in every way just like we are. He knew what it was to be weak. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be thirsty. He knew what it was to be betrayed. He knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be poor. He knew what it was to be troubled. He knew all of those things because of his love for us. He was totally touched, the Bible says, with all of the feelings of our infirmities. So when you feel weak, Jesus knows what that feels like. When you feel alone, Jesus knows what that feels like. When you feel rejected, Jesus knows what that feels like. When you feel tired, when you feel hungry, Jesus knows exactly what you feel. So for the one, you remember when Job cried out, "That oh, if I just had an intercessor, if I just had somebody who could come and plead my cause that would understand how I feel and what I'm going through, if I could just plead with somebody, but yet in faith, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives and I'll stand with him on that Day, but when he spoke that it was about a day way off in the future. Well, that isn't off in the future now. Our God understands intimately everything you and I feel, he gets it. That's why I love that verse in the Psalms that says, God understands our frame, he knows we're just dust. He gets it. But Mary receives this word and she celebrates the fact that she is going to be a part of the fulfillment of God's promise to deliver Israel and to deliver his people. He says that our God is the God who can cast down the mighty and raise up the lowly, raise up the weak. You know what that tells me? It says that when it looks the worst, that's when we can have the most hope because that's when God loves to move. How many times do you see that in Scripture? When it looks like everything that can go wrong has gone wrong and nothing, we don't know how anything can change, that's when the miracle comes. That's when God shows up and He moves it, but He always does it by moving on people. Here's the thing, and again, don't get me wrong, but I want you to understand, in a very real way, God's called you to carry His promise. He's called me to carry His promise. And it's going to cost you something. You will be misunderstood. In many cases, you will be rejected. In many cases, you will go through things for what God's called you to do in your life that you might not have gone through otherwise, but what you're carrying in this promise that God's given you will bring forth so much fruit that it won't just change you. It'll change the world around you. And God's called each of us to be willing to carry. and what has happened if you ask what's wrong with America what's wrong with the church of America what's wrong with what's going on in the world why why are our villages all over the world and countries all over the world experiencing revival and Europe and America is seeing nothing I believe it's this right here I believe that God has called his people to take his promise to the world but it's going to cost us something and I believe that for the most part instead of saying be it unto me the servant of the Lord most of us are saying find someone else God, find someone else. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I want to do this. Life was pretty good. <laughs> oh, I didn't have anything much, but it was pretty good. At least I knew what was coming from day to day. I, I'm comfortable with my situation. I, I understand, at least. I know what to expect. And, oh, if I, if I surrender, see, that's what Mary did. She surrendered completely. Completely to the will of God, and the world was forever changed. Joseph surrendered completely to what his plan was to put her away. God said, "Don't do that." Now understand something: God didn't force Mary, and He didn't force Joseph to obey Him. He doesn't do that. He gave them an option. Now, obviously, it was supernatural. You know, the angels were seen and, and, and supernatural dreams took place. But yet they still could have chosen to do things their own way. But Joseph, in spite of what it would bring him, the ridicule, the misunderstanding that he would live with possibly for the rest of his life, he chose to do exactly what God said. And he took Mary as his wife and his whole world forever. Changed. There are some people who will actually carry the vision and carry the promise. And carry the anointing and carry the burden that's what God's called them to and then there are some people that God calls to assist along in the vision to come alongside and take them unto themselves to clear the way to be the buffer to be the individual even though it cost you something to say this vision is important this promise is important and I'm going to carry it and whether that's for an individual promise in your own family or own life in your marriage in your church or in the world there are those type of people all over the world World all of the time and the thing that keeps I believe us from seeing the hand of God move is because God's still trying to find people who are willing to let their worlds be shaken and changed enough to be the carriers of the promise of God will it change your world yes it will but it will change your world for the good and the world of other people around you forever but for the Mary and the Joseph's the Marys and the Joseph's in the world and if that's what it sounds like that's who you think you are The good news is everything can change in just a moment. If you're willing to surrender at the word of God. Mary cries out in song. And she said, God, you've regarded the lowly state of your servant. God, you've seen my heart. promise you something, folks. God sees where you are. He knows your heart. He knows your broken places. You've regarded the low state, and therefore you brought favor. And he said this, she said, this mercy that you've given is for all those who stand in all of you from generation to generation. Otherwise, the promise of God just keeps on going. There's a promise out there for the next generation. You got kids and grandkids, great-grandkids. The promise isn't just for the last. Listen, I could tell you stories about how God moved in my life as a teenager and how God moved in our youth group and how God moved in churches and how God's moved in this church and how God moved in churches when I was a kid. I could tell you all those stories, and they're great stories, and I love to tell them, and they're real, and they can give me encouragement, but many times we tell those stories as if we're longing for a day gone by that we think is never coming again. The promise of God it goes from generation to generation. God still wants to move on your children, on, on your grandchildren, and on your great grandchildren and you may say well they're just not interested well let me tell you something do you remember a day when you weren't interested Do you remember a day when you didn't understand why everybody was so excited about going to church and so excited about reading the Bible and so excited about the songs that you didn't really understand to begin with and you just thought it was a time to get? Do you remember those days? Somebody, though, had a vision for your life. Somebody loved you enough to go into the courtroom of heaven and proclaim and declare and intercede and pray and seek the face of God for you and not give up. Somebody loved you enough to live the life in front of you and love you all the way to Jesus no matter what you acted like or how you said you didn't care or what they just kept doing it until they saw the promise that God had given them for the next generation if you're a grandparent a great-grandparent or a parent in this room here's some good news for you what Mary said in her prayer is still a promise from you God's favor it to those who fear him from generation to to generation, You may not see it yet, but don't you ever give up. Don't you ever quit. Don't you ever stop interceding. Don't you ever stop praying. Don't you ever stop living the life. Don't you ever stop doing what you're doing because God's promise is still there from generation to generation. And we learn that from the prayer of Mary. The other thing that we see is the world was not in good shape. Things weren't going very well. Life didn't look so good. As a matter of fact, it was kind of gloomy. The Romans ruled the world. There was an occupying army in their homeland. Their taxes were extremely high. The common person could barely survive because of the dishonest taxation that took place in their land. There was corruption in their government. And they all survived. Because into that corrupt, dark, confused weary world Jesus came and I know what many of you would like to say And I understand we need Jesus to do that again we need Jesus to come into our world again he is coming again and see when he comes again it's all going to be said and done then but here's what we miss Jesus does enter that corrupt and dark and messed up confused world of ours or at least he desires to through you and me every time you go to the marketplace every time you go to walmart the dollar store you got more chances to go there there's a new one cropping up everywhere every day every time you go to the mall every time you go to the gas station every time you go to work Every time you sit around the family table, every time you go to church, Jesus comes into your world. And his light shines where there was only darkness. It's God's desire. You see, it's been God's promise forever. He made this promise all the way back to Abraham, and it seemed impossible that it could ever be fulfilled. As a matter of fact, most of the you see, you've got to understand something. If you know the Scripture, you know there was 400 years between the close of the Old Testament to the opening of the New, and they're called the 400 silent years because for the most part there was no prophetic voice. There 400, listen, think about that, 400 years where there was no prophetic voice. 400 years when people could not say we've heard the word of the Lord. Now they had the scriptures, they had the old covenant, but they didn't have a 400 years until the angels showed up and started giving these angelic announcements. Until we began to see this supernatural activity take place around Mary and around Zechariah and around the wise men and around these shepherds in this obscure little corner of the globe and in all of that god the bible says and this is important god was doing this to fulfill his promise that was thousands of years old to abraham and sarah some of you are discouraged because you've got a promise that god gave you a long time ago and you feel like well it's just i guess it's never going to be fulfilled you see here's the thing we'll never understand about god i get it i don't either god doesn't get in a hurry you see a day is with the lord is a thousand years is a thousand years is a day he doesn't get rushed at all he knows the right time to bring about the fulfillment of your promise and no matter what you say or do he's going to bring the fulfillment of the promise at the right time now many of us think well the right time passed a long time ago no it didn't if the promise hadn't been fulfilled yet you're wrong it didn't happen a long time ago it's still yet to come that means you've got to still be hoping because god said to uh, through mary here that the birth of Christ was the fulfillment of his promise so many hundreds of years before to Abraham. And Sarah, now let's look as we close to the prayer of Zechariah, the prophetic utterance in verse 67. This is after John the Baptist was born. He had been stricken silent by the angel Gabriel because he had trouble believing. Even though an angel appeared to him in his service at the temple, told him he was going to have a son in his older years after they'd been barren for so long, Zechariah asked all these questions. Instead of saying, Mary said, Be it unto me, the the, the servant of the Lord. Zechariah was like, I don't understand how. How is this going to happen? How? And you see, here's the thing for those of you who think, Well, Pastor, I, I'm sure you would have been like Mary and thought, No, I probably would have been like Zechariah. I'm afraid he might have had to strike me silent so that I'd keep my mouth shut all this time and not talk myself out of the impossible because I'd be like Zechariah. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I love the way Gabriel speaks to him. If you read the story, it's kind of funny. Gabriel says after he asks the questions, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Most High God. Now, I don't know about you, but one thing would kind of shake me into believing, I think it might be actually the appearance of an archangel standing in front of me talking out loud. But that didn't do it for Zechariah. He still wasn't convinced. And so Gabriel says, well, here's a sign for you. Since you're so willing to talk right now, you ain't going to do no more talking until this baby's born. You're going to be rendered speechless. Speechless. And then your tongue will be loosed when the baby's born. Told him to call his name John. And so after the the time had come, John the Baptist was born. They're asking what they will name him, and the custom was to name him after the father or after a family name. And Elizabeth had already heard somehow uh, Zechariah communicated that he's supposed to name him John, so Elizabeth was say, No, his name will be John. And see, the people in that day just disregarded what the women would say, and they said, No, he's going to be named Zechariah or someone else after the family. And so Elizabeth was just kind of, What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And all of a sudden, Zechariah's tongue is loosed, or he had, he had a tablet, and he wrote down, I think his name was John, and then his tongue was loosed, and he begins to prophesy. says his father Zecharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 67 of chapter 1 of Luke, and he prophesied. Here's what he said. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, he's prophetically speaking over John, his son, will be called the prophet of the highest. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of God with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah's first words are Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited us. And he has. Re- now, I want to make sure I, I note this. He has visited us and he's redeemed us, he's rescued us, he's delivered us from the hand of the oppressors. I want you to understand that at that moment, Rome was still in charge. At that moment, absolutely nothing in the material world had changed. At that moment, they were still under heavy taxation. At that moment, it was still a dark and gloomy place as far as the world was concerned. But Zacharias knew something. He knew that the birth of this child signaled change because he was a forerunner for the king. He recognized that, and he prophesied that over his son. He said, you're going to be the one that goes before the Savior, the Messiah, and you're going to prepare the way. And the Bible had prophesied that, that someone would rise up in the spirit and the power of the prophet Elijah and prepare a highway for the Lord. You say, well, what does that have to do with any of us? Because you see, the Bible also says this. Before the Lord returns, the Bible says that he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, and he'll raise up those in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You see, Jesus didn't just come once. He's coming again. And before he comes, there's going to be a prophetic generation arise, And that generation that's going to arise is going to be crying out the same thing John the Baptist did. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. They're going to be a little bit odd, just like he was. The world's not going to understand them, and the world will never receive them. But they're going to go forth in power and strength, preparing the highway for the Lord's return. And before that time, something is going to change generationally. Something's going to happen. The Bible says the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children, and the children will be all of this. Let me tell you something. The problem with the world today is not just with a one generation or the other, the problem is with all the generations, because quite frankly, we've all gotten selfish. All of us look at our own ways. All of us are busy about our own things. All of us are consumed with our own ideas. All of us are worried about how everything affects us. And the Bible says something's going to change before the return of the Lord. The hearts of the fathers are going to be consumed with the needs of the children and the hearts of the children with the fathers. All of a sudden there's going to be compassion. All of a sudden there's going to be empathy. With those who will hear the word of the Lord, things are going to change. Yes, this literally happened one day so many years ago, but there is another generation arising. I believe it's already on the planet today. I believe it's happening, although it cannot be detected. I believe that God is stirring a generation, and I believe that God is turning hearts, and the only question we've got to answer is, what will we do with the Word of the Lord? Zechariah had to answer that. And I know there are things that you don't understand. There are things I don't understand. I know you've got questions. I've got questions. But sometimes it's just time to... Zip it. And just do what God said. That's what Zechariah had to do. And at the end, he saw the fulfillment of the promise. The people who sat in darkness saw a great light. I love that description. There's something about it that just resonates with me. See, we think of darkness and we think of wickedness and the evil and sin, and certainly that's true. But. See, I don't know about you, but I've had my share of nights when I tossed and turned and stressed and was anxious about one thing or another and worry and fear gripped my mind. And I don't know, I just couldn't wait till daylight. And you just wondered, is this night, when is daylight? I don't know what it was about daylight. You just felt like it would be better. At least you could get up and get moving. But you just couldn't wait for daylight. Certainly wickedness and sin and evil will cause us to be in a dark place, but darkness goes deeper than that. Sometimes it's just the endless night that we feel like we're in. I've been trapped in this season for so long. When is it ever going? This has been going on for so long, and I feel like I'd be all right if it could just change, even just for a little while, but it just seems like it never stops. The endless night, the dark. The people who sat in the darkness saw a great light. And I love that this prophecy came forth before anything physically changed. You see, if we can embrace the word of the Lord before our circumstances change, there's nothing the enemy can do to stop you. For all of the categories that I mentioned, I don't have time to talk about the shepherds. We may do a little bit of that next Sunday. I don't have time to talk about the wise men that came from the east. But in every category, Every situation, though they were all very different, they were all in desperate need of hope. And it didn't matter their station, their category, or their problem. One answer changed all of them. And that answer is Jesus. And that's what we celebrate. The fact that he's come. Not the fact that we have trees and ribbons and bows and gifts and decorations and carols that we sing as good as all that is. We celebrate the fact that Jesus has come, the king of all kings, and he came to set things right. You say, well, everything's not right in the world yet. No, he starts with individual hearts. But whether it's your heart or someone else you know, have you not witnessed Jesus setting everything right in a heart? Have you not seen in your life or the lives of others everything changed because Jesus has come on the scene? One day he's coming on the physical scene. When he does, he's going to set everything right. But until then, he's setting everything right, one heart at a time. And I can't help but believe that today, he'd like to begin with yours. I want you to bow your head with me. Father, in the name of Jesus today, we're grateful for, again, just time in your presence. We're grateful for your word. Lord, these Words that have been read, and it wouldn't matter where we turn to, they've been read thousands and thousands of times for thousands and thousands of years by thousands and thousands of preachers and teachers and individual believers. And yet, every day, every week, every month, every year, we find something in this timeless word that's fresh vital new that changes our life your word is living powerful sharper than any two-edged sword and able to divide asunder the soul from the spirit your word and your word alone can do that so lord we thank you for the word it declares that the entrance of the word brings light It shines in the darkness and dispels the darkness. And we thank you, your word has power to do that today. I thank you that's happening right now where there was discouragement, where there was anxiety and stress, where there was depression, where there was fear. Lord, I thank You that Your Word, the light that shines from it, is removing that darkness. Where there was bondage, where where there was turmoil, where there was uh, anything that would hold people down, I thank You that Your Word is the light that's dispelling that darkness. Lord, where sin had a hold on people's lives, I thank You the Word is removing that. It's removing helplessness. Lord, it's removing hopelessness today. Father, I thank You Your Word is more than enough. Empowered by Your Spirit, for Jesus, You are the living Word, the bread from heaven and we receive the light of the word today i thank you it won't return void it'll accomplish everything you sent it to do and we just simply bow before the power and the glory of your presence in your word now god speak to hearts touch lives bring healing bring relief bring hope let your calling resonate deeply where it needs to in hearts and lives today in jesus name with your heads.